This is It Was a Thing on TV. Spoiler number one is Dr. Lee Franz. It stinks. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? Episode 42, Submission 208, The Dana Carvey Show. The Dana Carvey Show aired on ABC from March 12th of 1996 to April 30th of 1996 for eight episodes, one of which was unaired. From the ABC Broadcast Center in New York, it's the Pepsi Stuff Dana Carvey Show. Well, guys, the spring of 1996 was a year of transition at the American Broadcasting Company. Disney had just purchased the parent company of the American Broadcasting Company, Capital Cities. And that year in 96, they had some entries that we'll be covering on this show in the future, like Aliens in the Family and Muppets Tonight in the Dave Chappelle sitcom Buddies. Also in 1996, you had a sketch comedy show. But the sketch comedy show was hosted by a guy who was one of the driving forces of Saturday Night Live in the late 80s and early 90s, Dana Carvey. And interestingly enough, after he left Saturday Night Live, he almost got the late night... TV gig uh, that Letterman vacated when he went to the Late Show to CBS. Yes, it was going to actually be co-produced by Dana Carvey and uh, some kid named Conan O'Brien. Whatever and the rest is history. Whatever. Wait a minute, Conan O'Brien is that the guy who was playing bongos in that episode with Wayne Gretzky? Yeah, he's the guy that wrote the the famous Marge versus the Monorail episode of The Simpsons. Oh man, I wonder whatever happened to that guy. There was a sketch comedy show on ABC, and it had this incredible group of people behind it, and they were just going to revolutionize the game, just really give it what for. And if you see the list of names associated with this show... Oh my god, run it down, man, run it down! It's like a who's who of comedy for like the last quarter century. Should we start with the actors or the writers? Let's start with the actors first. Okay. Well, we have Dana Carvey. We all know who he is. We talked about him briefly. Uh, You also had uh, some young gentleman named Steve Carell. Never heard of him. I figured you'd say that. And another young gentleman named Stephen Colbert. Never heard of him. Again, saw that coming from a mile away. And then you had... Bob Odenkirk. Yes. Okay, you've heard of him. <laughs> Mr. Show, and of course... Yeah, Mr. Uh, Show, absolutely, yeah. And, and today with Better Call Saul. Yep. Uh, and also, again, another name that we're all very familiar with, Robert Smigel. Yes. Yeah, for all the oh, stuff yeah. he's done on SNL over the years, and uh, also with, uh, again, Conan O'Brien... 
Absolutely. Yep. And then from the writing perspective, oh my gosh, again, tons of great writers. Uh, Louis C.K. And you had Dino Stematopoulos. Yep, uh, he of moral oral fame. Among other things. Yep. Uh, he also did stuff with Late Show with David Letterman, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, uh, Mad TV, the aforementioned Mr. Show. But also, entry for next week, Yes, next week we're going to talk about this show, TV Funhouse. Yep, Comedy uh-huh. Central's TV Funhouse. Yes. Uh, then you had Spike Ferriston. He uh talk show with Spike Ferriston. Also a writer for Seinfeld. Yes, and, and Letterman. So yeah, uh, again, somebody who's been very successful in the business. You have uh, Greg Daniels, who wrote for The uh, Simpsons. King of the Hill and was involved with the American version of The Office. Okay. Also have John Glazer. This was actually his first job, and you know, he's gone on to do a lot of big things. For example, Delocated, Neon Joe Werewolf Hunter, and he was uh he was also uh, on on the writing team of Late Night with Conan O'Brien, and now he's on the True TV series. John Glazer loves gear. Oh, he was also on Parks and Rec, Girls, and Inside Amy Schumer. And and also, John Glazer was in the Too Close for Comfort episode of Future Entry, the greatest event in television history. You also had Robert Carlock, who produced 30 Rock and also co-created a little show called The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. They love, damn it! Now available on DVD and Blu-ray through Mill Creek. So needless to say, there was a ton of great people behind this show. So how did it fail? Yeah, Mike, how did this fail? It sounds like a winner. This this has everything it needs to be completely awesome. Yeah, uh, well... We'll start off with the first sketch on the premiere episode. And the first sketch on the premiere episode had to deal with then-president at the time, Bill Clinton, declaring that he was mother and father to the nation. And this included him ripping open his his suit, his, his shirt, and showing a prosthetic chest full of nipples. And uh, from those nipples came out milk. And if you look carefully while watching this premiere sketch, you could see milk coming from uh, the bottom of his jacket, dripping out. And he was feeding puppy dogs and even a kitty cat and a baby doll. He was the mother and father to our country. Uh, That's a little absurd. Plus also, there were even S&P issues, standards and practices issues, where they wanted to, they wanted to pixelate the nipples. Ultimately, it was decided that the network wouldn't have to pixelate the nipples. They showed it unedited. That's sort of a bizarre way to introduce your show. Uh, a, little, yeah. a, a little absurd. Well, this whole show was an exercise in the theater of the absurd. I mean, you could call it the uh, American sort of descendant of Monty Python 
and maybe even the predecessor to the mighty Boosh, even. In yeah. some ways, I could I could agree with that. Uh, but also, at the same time, this aired at 9.30 on Tuesday nights, and it aired after probably the biggest show on TV in the early 90s, with all due respect to, to Seinfeld, Home Improvement. Yeah, and the Home Improvement <laughs> audience is a way different animal than the audience the Dana Carvey show was trying to attract. Indeed, and you still had kids watching at this time, uh, you know, it's, thinking it's like a transition uh, into staying into to family time, and by no means was this a necessarily a family show, or at least family-oriented show. He even mentioned it as such in the uh, opening monologue. This was a show for all your all the boomers who really enjoyed absurdist, avant-garde, counterculture humor. Which now which now watching back, I could totally appreciate. But back when I was a little chica watching this, I was like, okay, some of it's really cool. The other other parts is like, well, speaking about just the absurdist humor, there was a documentary on Hulu called Too Funny to Fail regarding this show. And they showed an ad which ABC had aired at the time promoting Home Improvement and the Dana Carvey show. And in retrospect, it's a little shocking. Uh, I think that would be a good word to use. The episode of Home Improvement that was being promoted would be uh, classified as one of those very special episodes. Yes, it was the episode where Randy, Jonathan Taylor Thomas's character, might have a thyroid cancer. Yeah, you can you can go over the gist of it on um, Funny or Die's very special episode. It's right there. But the ad itself, here it is. Just listen to, just to how weird the transition sounds to go from the very special episode of Home Improvement to the Diet Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey show. I had never watched Home Improvement when I heard about the time slot. I thought, oh, well, maybe it'll be compatible because Tim Allen's kind of a man's man kind of guy and uh, seemed like maybe he's a hip comedian. He had been busted for cocaine or something. <laughs> I don't know. Is Home Improvement a little racy maybe, right? I get your point now, Tim. You respect me, huh? I hadn't watched it until about four shows in. I just stopped everything at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday and watched it and just watched in horror, just not believing what we had foisted on this audience. ABC Tuesday, a parent's worst fear, losing a child. I don't want to die, Dad. You never know whose family it will happen to. An episode so powerful, it hits home. We beat this thing, no matter what it is, you know. I'm not letting anything happen to you. A special home improvement followed by the Diet Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey Show. <laughs> What can you say? I mean, that just says it all. That just says it all. What were we doing? It was being marketed as this kind of fun show. 
And I think people were like, what the fuck is this? And I thought about what we had put on television following this family-oriented show that I now realized was successful because kids and parents could watch it together, you know? And then our show would start and kids and parents would, you know, run for their lives. That whole show was just like, fuck you, Dad. <laughs> I'm not home improvement, all right? Fuck you, I like Grandma the Clown, all right? You might not get it, but that's because that's your deal, all right? That's you, that's on you. And my dad, of course, is like, I don't like home improvement either. Why are you yelling at me? And mind you, it, it, this is another time we wish this was a video podcast. If you could just see Stephen Colbert's face when uh, he saw this. A guest is a great word to use, but I, I think there's even better words to use. I mean, you could see his jaw hit the floor. Are you kidding? That actually happened? That was a promo? Yes, it was. Man, guys, it's too bad Ernie Anderson was near the end of his life because I would have loved to have heard him <laughs> try to yeah. seriously go into that, to the Diet Punk Root Beer Dana Corby show. And the thing of it is, that's not even the... That's like the diet, the diet mug root beer would be episode four, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, diet mug root beer was episode four. Yes. We talked earlier about the talent that was actually on the show, but the list of people who didn't make it on the show who who weren't hired is just about as big, right? Yes. Yes, Mike. Uh, Anna Gasteyer was one name who auditioned. She'd go on uh, to SNL. I think, what was it, 95, uh, 96? Uh, 96, 97, I believe. Okay, oh yeah, yeah, because yeah, cause 95, 96, yeah, Farrell and all those guys were already on there. Uh, yeah, Anna Gassire wouldn't come for, for another year Okay. after that. Uh, Lewis Black? Can you imagine how good this show would have been with Lewis Black? Oh my gosh. Oh, Just the possibility. Oh, by the way, by the way, Lewis Black, Tar Heel in the house. Of course. Yeah. And and he of course he would go on to be a regular on the Daily Show and a fixture on the stand up circuit, so you know he uh, he uh, did uh, he did good. He did yeah, good. Yeah, a correspondent on the Daily Show like Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell. Uh Tracy Morgan. Of course he also went on to Saturday Night Live, I believe same year that uh Anna Gasteyer joined up. Yep, that's 90, correct, yes. 96-97. And, and, of course, he was on 30 Rock. Yep. And there was a little 20-year-old kid from Long Island that auditioned, uh, Jimmy Fallon. Ah, uh, Jimmy Fallon. I, I remember watching uh, the uh, Data Carvey documentary on Hulu and uh, the story was that Louis C.K. hated this guy. Absolutely hated him. And, and he basically said, I'm going to quit if you hire this guy. Could not stand him. Uh, you know where he said all of this? On the couch of The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. Not awkward. Not awkward at all. Well, Jimmy Fallon got the last laugh. Yep. 
he's doing okay for himself too. To say the least, yes. So the first six episodes of this show, in an attempt by Dana Carvey to replicate the variety shows of his youth, would have a different sponsor in each show. And there's a common theme, guys, in episodes one through five. Yes, there uh, were. Yeah. They're all affiliated with Yum! Brands. Or they all would be affiliated with Yum! Brands, because if I'm not mistaken, that it's like, how, how new is Yum! Brands? Well, at the very least, let's just say they're associated with PepsiCo. Yeah. Because at the time, I don't think Yum! Brands was necessarily around in 1996. Uh, and I don't think Pepsi falls under the Yum! Brand. That would be more your Taco Bell, your KFC, your Pizza Hut. Okay. But the first episode was the Taco Bell Dana Carvey show. The second episode was the Mug, Beer, Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey show. The third episode was the Mountain Dew Dana Carvey show. The fourth episode was the aforementioned Diet Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey show. The fifth show was, and man, this is going to take me back, the Pepsi Stuff Dana Carvey show. Remember Pepsi Stuff, guys? Vaguely. I, rem I remember Pepsi Stuff. I remember opening up the newspaper on a Sunday morning in uh, 1996, and the Pepsi Stuff catalog fell out of the circular pile, so... Yeah. And then episode six, the sponsor was a Chinese restaurant from Manhattan called Szechuan Dynasty. It was the Szechuan Dynasty Dana Carvey show. Which, after doing a little bit of research, it looks like it closed up in late 2015. Aww. I want to go. I would have liked to have gone to restaurants just to say I went to the Chinese restaurant that sponsored the Dana Carvey show. And then episode seven and the unaired episode, they didn't have a sponsor. That was just the Dana Carvey show. But also after the uh, PepsiCo sponsorship ended. So this is starting on episode six. The backdrop behind Dana Carvey when he did his monologue changed. It went from geometric figures, and usually there was uh, a caricature of Dana Carvey drinking or eating the product that was sponsoring that show. So it might have been Mountain Dew, or it might have been Pepsi, or Taco Bell. But starting with episode six, it became a skyline of New York City, or yep. sort of New York City. Maybe Make cartoonish like a, New York City. Yeah, I mean, there was no Twin Towers, though. It was sort of like a neighborhood in New York City. No big buildings. But it's just very interesting, uh, talking about the Pepsi sponsorship. Shortly after the show debuted, uh, PepsiCo announced that uh, it pulled the advertising for the show, which would have brought in $600,000 per episode. There's your big bucks right there. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, But interesting also uh, regarding these episodes at least the six sponsored episodes including the Szechuan Dynasty episode just about every episode started with a musical number about the product and they'd have occasionally 
people dressed in costumes looking like a taco or a bell or uh, wearing merchandise of that sponsor. And they'd sing a song. Here's an example of one of the songs that was sung after the opening credits, but before Dana Carvey was introduced. Now that we've talked uh, briefly about the Dana Carvey show itself, we're going to take a look at the episodes. We're going to start with episode one, which we mentioned was called the Taco Bell Dana Carvey show. We mentioned the initial scene about Bill Clinton being mother and father to the nation with the prosthetic nipples and feeding cats and dogs. Uh, A little absurd to start the show. Uh, And then every show had a monologue, except it really wasn't a monologue. It just wasn't that funny, in my opinion. The one exception to the monologues not being so good, in my opinion, happened on the last aired episode, episode seven, when in the audience was Regis Philbin, and essentially Regis Philbin and Dana Carvey had a Regis Philbin off. Oh, yeah. That was just, you know, him. It was just, they were just riffing back and forth. Not really, uh, yeah. Well, they're just, again, it, it was uh, Regis and Dana trying to out-Regis each other. Uh, then after the monologue, there was a segment which occurred, I think, maybe two or three times during the series called Leftover Beatles Memories, which I think was just an excuse for Dana Carvey to do his Paul McCartney impression. But also, Mike, remember that... In- the year earlier on ABC, they had the Beatles anthology, and that was like a big hit for ABC. Oh, you're okay. absolutely right about that. I, I remember that. I remember getting my mother that book for Christmas that year. Yes. I had the CD. Yes. Uh, and then this oh, was... Oh, hold, hold up, hold up. I, I want to mention, you also had Stephen Colbert as, as, as George Harrison, and you had Smigel as Ringo. <laughs> And uh, Spike Liz Ringo was good. Spike yeah. Ringo was really good. It was it was an epic. I mean, you had Stephen Colbert riffing on the fact that George Harrison not really liked among the Beatles fans or sort of forgotten. He was the quiet Beatle. He was the quiet Beatle for a reason. And then you had and then you had Paul McCartney. He's talking, doing the hip and the hop and the bip and the bop and all that, and, and nobody understood the thing he said, although he perfectly understood what he said, something like that. And then you had Ringo just sleeping. 
But also you have uh, on episode one, one of the recurring bits of the show, Dana and Steve Carell as the stupid pranksters. Oh, yeah, that was um, that was one of those meta. That became one of those meta recurring bits. You know, I'm going to say it and I hate to say it. It was funny the first two times and it was funny the last time. We'll get to that in a little bit. But unfortunately, after you see the first two times, you're like, okay, we know how this is going to end. And the first one was at a drive-thru. The stupid pranksters went through the drive-thru. They ordered food. And, you know, commonly what would happen with pranksters is they'd, you know, dash before the food came. But they went through the drive-thru. They paid for the food. And while the person at the register was getting the food, they left. That's why they're stupid pranksters. Yeah. Uh, then you had Nightline checking in with the Republican Party. You do need to remember that 1996 was an election year, and they really uh, came down hard on Bob Dole. I, I think Bob they Dole. nailed. I Bob think Dole. they nailed all of it. I think they nailed and, all of it. Bob, and, Bob Dole was like Bob Dole, Bob Dole, Bob Dole, Bob Dole. And then you had Steve Forbes, who was like, "I just want to take this opportunity to thank all my money." And then you had Pat Buchanan, like, this is a still-beating live heart of a Mexican immigrant. Watch me eat it. All the pundits said we were dead. I'm, so, I'm sorry I'm doing Steve Forbes again, but I thought I would have. Go, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, and I couldn't have done it without my wonderful money. Let's hear it for my money. And then he's just hugging a giant bag full of money, Steve Forbes. <laughs> And then you had a spoof commercial for Drowsy Boy. Not Lazy Boy, Drowsy Boy. It's the it's the recliner that acts as a robotic body a robotic exosuit. Yes, think Transformers but with furniture. <laughs> and then after the Drowsy Boy commercial, Nightline checked back in with the Republican Party. And we do have to add that Dana Carvey did Ted Koppel and did yes. Ted Koppel really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then another segment, which oh, I really... Hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Hold okay. on. I want to mention the best part. Steve Forbes is now drinking some cocoa. <laughs> and then after Nightline checked back in with the Republican Party, we had Germans who say nice things, which... Again, absurdist humor. I didn't find it terribly funny. It was basically Dana Carvey and uh, Steve Carell dressed as typical German people with loud German accents saying stuff. Again, I didn't find it terribly funny. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's the the German side of me. I I wouldn't know. Well, I'm German and I found it hilarious. I'm not German, so couldn't tell you. Uh, next, well, there was... well, 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 I'm only a quarter German, so maybe that explains it. Maybe if I was at least half German, maybe I'd get it. And then we go back to the stupid pranksters at a gas station. Who knew gas was that expensive back then? It was $30. I want to put $30 in uh, on this well, pump. 
Well, they were driving in one of those old-time El Caminos, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but still, I mean, gas back in 1996 was probably about like a buck twenty-nine, buck thirty-nine a gallon. So yeah, I don't think they were filling up a a twenty-five gallon tank. Not on an El Camino, at least. Wow, ah, true. Okay, just one of those random observations that I saw that while watching the show. This has been another random observation. And then you had an important announcement. Yeah, this was, was Robert Smigel playing the uh, executive vice president in charge of entertainment for ABC, basically saying, hey, I know all of Data Carvey's characters are basically the property of NBC, but guess what? We've just got been we've just been bought out by Disney, and now with their high price lawyers, not only do we have all of their characters, but we also have CBS's Late Show Top Ten and Larry Bud Melman. Yes, with an appearance by Larry Bud Melman. <laughs> and, and the thing is, at that time, he would have been Calvert DeForest on the Late Show. So it's mm-hmm. interesting seeing him go back to his his name, which was popularized on Late Night. But then that takes us to the Church Ladies Top Ten list. And I got to tell you, they were they were almost mean towards Princess Di because there were a couple of skits on this show where they went after Princess Di mercilessly. Oh, and you can, yeah. And you got to remember that this was... This is right when she divorced Charles. Oh, yeah, this is right when she divorced Charles, but also this is about a year and a half before she passed away. Yeah. And, and, and yes, uh, the, the church lady's top ten list had to do with nicknames for Lady Die, And a lot of them included the word slut. Let's just say that. I am not at liberty to even repeat that, but... Well, I'm just telling the truth. I saw it, and... I, I It's like, uh, I... Yeah, I mean, that's an unfair characterization, I think. But um, again, also the timing, you know, she'd passed less than a year and a half later. Uh, I don't know. Just didn't make me feel too too good watching it. Uh, but obviously that was a big topic at the time, the, the splitting of, of Charles and Di. Well, that was episode one. Episode two. The Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey Show. Not to be confused with the Diet Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey Show. Yes, we want to get that straight. One of the recurring segments on uh, the Dana Carvey Show was their version of E.T. Entertainment Tonight, which they called E.H. Entertainment Entertainment Headlines. Headlines. Yeah. Yes. And uh, the opening of the show featured an Entertainment Headlines examination of the O.J. Prosecutor's uh, Marsha Clark and, and uh, Christopher Darden. And basically, they fell in love after the trial or fell Aww. in love during the trial. And yeah, yeah, aw, true love came out of that. Aww. I, well, I, I didn't see that part in American Crime Story. What the hell? Well, stuff had to be left on the cutter room floor. We got to get your dress juice. And then we have the show open and monologue. Again, pretty much Q&A. Nothing too spectacular. And then they had an ad for Comedy Central's Under Five. Uh, 
And what that was was stand-up comedy done by five-year-olds or younger. And I was impressed because for that ad, they actually got Penn Gillette, who, if you remember back in the day, oh, was yes. the voice of Comedy Central. Yeah, yep. you could you couldn't back in the day in the in the early mid nineties, you couldn't turn on Comedy Central for twenty minutes without hearing Penn Gillette's voice. And then after that, and this is another uh, segment which happened, I think, once or twice besides this. They did a takeoff of the Charles Grodin show, which, if you remember, back in the mid to late 90s, was a thing on CNBC. They had, Charles Grodin did have like a 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. talk show. And never did I think anybody would ever do a Charles Grodin impersonation. Yet here we are. Uh... And, and he did remind me of the Charles Grodin show. I, did, I didn't necessarily watch it religiously, but I did see episodes of it. And he had like the general mannerisms of Charles Grodin down and what the show, what he'd mentioned on the show. I mean, it was a, a good, accurate parody of the Charles Grodin show, even though, you know, of all the shows that were around in 1996, let's do a parody of Charles Grodin. Really? Well, it was one of those uh, examples of the show being too smart for the room. Well, the Charles Grodin show was too smart for the room. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's not on the list yet. Keyword yet. The Charles Grodin show. And then uh, you had the hockey perfectionist. With Steve Carell as a goalie. Yes, and Steve Carell was like blocking everything. Uh, I, I remember him uh, taking a uh, a hockey stick to a remote-controlled truck and basically, after he hit it, the, the truck hit the wall, and the truck just broke apart into hundreds of pieces. And then Entertainment Headlines looked at Oliver Stone. Oh, yeah. Isn't this the sketch where they have Oliver Stone, and he's doing, like, a um, was a film about the uh, George Washington snorting coke? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Because you got to remember, back in the day, uh, Oliver Stone... Did the the film was JFK and also Nixon, which we'll get to. Speaking of Nixon later, yes. And then I think this is the only appearance of this during this series, but obviously it went on to bigger and better things. The ambiguously gay duo premiered. Yes, it was the It Takes Two to Tango, and I believe that short also aired on the first TV Funhouse. I may be wrong there, but yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Then it's back to more Charles Grodin and more leftover Beatles memories. And then celebrity bloopers and dark sides. Featuring Where's... Paul Hogan and Casey Kasem. Yep. Uh, Paul Hogan was really, really upset, really upset about having to do a third Crocodile Dundee movie, and Casey Kasem was really upset about having to dedicate a song to a dog. Yes. If you've ever heard the outtake from American Top 40, which does exist, by the way, imagine an exaggerated version of that. Ponderous, effing ponderous. You're pretty much right on the nose there, absolutely. And that was the end of, of episode two. Yeah. Episode three, 
The Mountain Dew Dana Carvey Show. And also well, in this episode, you have a special guest star. Yes, you do. Bill Hartman was the special guest star in episode three. Mm-hmm. So, we're, yeah, he would play Larry King in a sketch about Larry King Live, where uh, Dana would resurrect his Ross Perot. Because Ross Perot was known for going on Larry King Live at the time to announce anything and everything. Yeah, he he announced that he was he was basically announcing that he wasn't going to be running for president. Except that he was. Except that he wasn't. Except that he was. Except that he wasn't. And now I've gone all cross-eyed. Uh, and that was after an Academy Awards sketch. Oh, where, uh, yes. Where a bunch of farm animals were pissed that Braveheart won Best Picture instead of Babe. Yeah. And the uh, monologue and the uh, ingredients of Mountain Dew diving into the Mountain Dew can. Very educational. Yeah. Very weird also. Science. And next, the 11 o'clock news that's easy to take. This is where we start to see the shades of Colbert that we would come to know and love. And that is delivering humorous news with a straight face. Yes. Uh, especially when he had all sorts of pets around him. A parakeet on his shoulder, holding a, a what looked like a golden retriever puppy dog. Yes. And next we go to Mountain Dew looks like. It looks like liquid sunshine. Yep. That's exactly what it looks like. It looks like nothing but liquid sunshine. And then Bob Dole's announcement of a vice presidential running mate. Strom Thurmond, in an attempt to make Bob Dole look more youthful. Bob Dole is old. Bob Dole is younger than his running mate. Bob Dole is in touch with the youth. Bob Dole. Who the heck knew that Dana Carvey could do a Strom Thurmond impersonation? No clue. And then perhaps the most racist sketch ever to come from this uh, this series. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yes. because Dana Carvey doing Strom Thurmond wasn't racist enough. Well, Strom, well, Strom, Thurmond, Strom Thurmond, well, never mind what I have to think about Strom Thurmond. Susan Sarandon and Gregory Peck present the Foreign Language Academy Award. And let's just say the racism meter is going off the chart. Yeah. Lots of stereotyping. Yeah. It's, uh... I, I, I'm feeling yucky just thinking about it. Yeah. It, it's, uh... It, it, this would not fly in 2020, but in 1996, it just flew under the radar. Probably because nobody was watching it by then. I don't know. But if you think that was was cringe, wait till you get to the next segment. Grandma the Clown. Oh, dear. You have this old lady who's a clown in a TV show with kids, and she's, like, walking very slowly with a walker, and the walker's making these slow, 
honking sounds. Mm-hmm. It is just bizarre and weird. And a little bit icky. Just a little bit. And it was a recurring segment because it will pop up later. But then we get to the Diet Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey show. The, the, the episode we mentioned earlier that followed the very special home improvement. Uh, oh, and we get to one of my favorite skits from the show. Oh, there are a number of good skits on this show. But this, this, is, is the, this, this might is, be the episode I like most out of all of them. Th- but this is my favorite. Because you have a Regis and Kathy Lee sketch. And you have Jan Hooks as Kathy Lee in this episode. But, yep. the, be- but the best part is... Regis gets a call from David Letterman asking, can he do a sketch to be in the potato suit where he dives into a to a kiddie pool of gravy? So he's got a gri- So Dana Carvey as Regis has to run to, to the Ed Sullivan Theater because he's got to be in the mashed potato suit. Yeah, but then he scales the wall. And who do you see pop his head out? Tony Randall. Oh, yes, Tony uh. Randall. Because as <laughs> Is of course Tony Randall was always on Letterman all the time. Yes, and uh, yeah, he went up however many stories uh, and ended up in the writers' room. Uh, climbed through the window of the writers' room. I gotta go do this for David. And you see him enter the 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 theater wearing the the mashed potato suit, and then ultimately run up on stage and dive into the the vat of gravy. Oh. Oh. Uh, and also, another thing is, uh, and you brought this to my attention, Greg, who played Gelman in that sketch? Oh, Stephen Colbert. Oh, that was go- oh, that was amazing. That was glorious. To, that all my dreams uh, to see Stephen Colbert play Gelman. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then after that, you had probably just as good of a sketch. Geraldo interviewing Cato Kalin, and then O.J. Simpson came by. And uh, Geraldo was actually done by Elon Gold, who really, in some of the episodes, he was absolutely hilarious. And he didn't really go on to that much after this show. He did a great Geraldo. Uh, we'll talk about him in a moment in another sketch. Uh, and uh, you had Dana Carvey as Cato Kalin. Again, I thought this is maybe about as good as the Regis and Kathy Lee sketch. And then after that, you get Germans who say nice things again. But then you had uh, Bill Clinton and uh, Hillary Clinton getting roasted. Uh, it was like, uh, what would you say? Like the, uh, the, like the, the old the, Dean Martin roast, only um, Howard Stern was involved. Well, I was thinking more like the, the White House Correspondents Dinner also. Yeah, that too. It was a little bit of both of those. And uh, the big star of the show was Howard Stern, again played by Elon Gold. He did a heck of a Stern. He did. And that was, again, given that this aired immediately after the very special episode of Home Improvement, uh, the subject material was just a little touchy. Uh, Not appropriate for 9.30 after the Home Improvement special episode. Yeah. And then we wrap up with more Germans who say nice things. Again, they're finding mileage out of this. I just don't see it. 
Well, they found mileage out of the out of the stupid pranksters. They can find mileage out of anything. But the stupid pranksters was funny a couple of times, and then once we get to the last one, the last one was absolutely hilarious. But now we get to episode five, the Pepsi stuff Dana Carvey show. It starts with Jay Leno interviewing Quentin Tarantino. You had Dana Carvey playing Jay Leno, and you had Robert Smigel as Quentin Tarantino. The two of them talking alerted dogs. It sounded like high-pitched squeals or something like that, because you know how Jay Leno talks as much as we dislike it. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Jay Leno, reason Gabrielle Union got fired. And ultimately, again, dogs were howling over this, going crazy. But then it set off radars at like NORAD or something like that. And they started bombing Burbank. <laughs> ultimately, with Jay Leno and, and Quentin Tarantino still doing the, the noises like Greg mentioned, that high-pitched squealing almost, uh, despite debris all around him, dust all around him. Too bad the bomb missed Jay Leno. No, I said it. Yeah. Don't, don't we're send not, We're not even going to retract it. Nope. Nope. And then uh, you had uh, the show open uh, slash monologue with the singing and dancing of four people dressed in Pepsi gear. And again, the, the Q&A that we talked about that, that Dana Carvey would do. And then there was a fake commercial. This I found kind of funny. A companion finding service for the insane. Ooh, it, it was I, I, that was funny. That was funny. It, it was basically like um, great expectations, if you will, like a dating service, but it was for homeless people who talk to themselves and mumble and creep out people. So they'd pair up uh, people that do two people that do that. So when they go down the street and they're mumbling to each other incoherently. It looked like they're actually having a conversation or talking. <laughs> I really thought that was a funny uh, uh, commercial. Yeah, it was pretty fun. And and then the stupid pranksters went to a movie theater, and they did the same thing. Uh, we'd like to buy two tickets to go see whatever movie. That'll be thirteen dollars. Okay, here's the money, and they dash without going to the movie, laughing like idiots. Again, it got a little repetitive here. I should note, did, did you notice who played the ticket taker? I who played the ticket taker? Louis C.K. Oh. He also played the guy in, I believe that he would show up either on this episode or next, but we'll get to it when we get to it. Please continue. And then there was a sketch called Rich Little's All Rich Little One Man Easter Promo. And... I think that's the first time in my life I've ever seen somebody do an impersonation of Rich Little. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, honestly, it's like, how can you impersonate Rich Little? The man impersonates everybody. Has anyone ever heard his real voice? But then you had Dana Carvey impersonating Rich Little, impersonating a bunch of celebrities during this promo. You had Dana Carvey impersonating Rich Little, impersonating... Paul Lind. You had Dana Carvey impersonating Rich Little impersonating Carol Channing. You had Dana Carvey impersonating Rich Little impersonating Truman Capote. I mean, it went all over the place. But it sounded like something that Rich Little would do because uh, that, that seems like what his Las Vegas gig would be nowadays. 
Oh, and by the way, Chico, next time we're in Vegas at the Tropicana, we've got to see Rich Little. We're going to see Rich Little. Darn right we are. we got to see Rich Little do a impersonation of Dana Carvey doing an impersonation of Rich Little. Screw playing blockbusters. We're going to see Rich Little. And then the next segment, and oh. this I oh. oh, this was a great one. Waiters who are nauseated by food. Uh, this was, okay. This was this was the sketch that reportedly got Stephen Colbert hired onto the Daily Show. Carell hired on the Daily Show. Yes. So basically, Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell's careers are basically made from this sketch. Basically. And what a great sketch it was. It was just Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell as two waiters. And they're reading off the specials uh, that are being offered at a restaurant. And once they mention food, they start getting sick. They start feeling queasy and nauseous. And I believe the inspiration for that sketch Stephen Colbert talks about in the Dana Carvey Too Funny to Fail Hulu documentary is back when he was a waiter in Chicago, when he was with Second City, he would read... He would do like a sketch for like the his fellow waiters of reading off the menu and being nauseated. Mm-hmm. And it was just funny. And the thing is, when they got to anything that wasn't food, like just water, for example, they oh. were just fine. But once they went back to food, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh boy, yeah. And then there is a quick little 15 second segment, meanwhile at Fabio's house, which had Dana Carvey. As Fabio, bare-chested. Now, mind you, it was a, a prosthetic bare chest, very hairy one, and all he was doing was shaving his hair. Too bad this wasn't a couple of years later when that goose hit Fabio in the nose. <laughs> Never forget Apollo's chariot, the Fabio ride. And, and then, then oh, oh, do it, Greg, do it. Nixon's. This was the zippers of the Dana Carvey show. <laughs> oh no! But this is this is a spoof on the Oliver Stone movie Nixon. But instead of instead of one Nixon, you have four Nixons. Well, ultimately there are five Nixons because one of them was somebody wearing a, a Richard <laughs> Nixon mask. Yes. Very bizarre. Very funny, though. I think, was, was it also one of them supposed to be Rich Little portraying Richard Nixon? I don't yes. Know. Okay. Yes, it was. Wait. Yes. So you have double Dana Carvey doing Rich, Rich Little on this show. And then you have the stupid pranksters again. But now they call the prostitute. Oh, that's not going to end well. Well, it's just like the other stupid uh, pranksters. They give the money to the prostitute. She's getting ready. And while she goes into the bathroom prepping, they leave, giggling on the way out. Again, same thing we've seen in the previous stupid pranksters skits. Uh, just lather, rinse, repeat. Put them in a different situation. They give the money, they dash, they go in their El Camino, and they're laughing all the way home. 
I mean, again, it, 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 it's funny the first couple times, but it, it's very redundant after you see it the first two times. And then, uh, geez, a BBC oh. report on the separation of England's royal couple. Oh, again, boy. yeah, let's take attack on Princess Di and, uh, and Charles. I believe this is the, uh, in that skit, that um, they ended up doing like a Herman's Hermit spoof. Yeah, that was the, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah because, they want, because they wanted to bring back decapitation. They wanted to bring back the guillotine. Uh, specifically, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say they. Prince Charles wanted to bring back decapitation, the guillotine, because he wanted to chop off Lady Di's head. And ultimately, it ended up being sort of a spoof of Herman's Hermits, even going as far as to having a band, and on the, the drum, it said Herman's Hermits. Yep. Again, as I see it, it was just, you know, more, not necessarily warranted attacking of Princess Di. But again, that was big in the day, so I understand where they're coming from. But now we're out of the PepsiCo sponsored shows. Where are we at now, Greg? The Satchuan Dynasty Dana Corby show. And the first skit on this night was World News Tonight. And it was looking at Bob Dole and Bill Clinton physically preparing for the presidential race. And it was very bizarre. I mean, you had Bill Clinton running. You had Bob Dole running. And the thing is, Bill Clinton back in the day did jog. Uh, they made him unusually pudgy again through prosthetics, but also Bob Dole. They had him doing stuff which really physically he couldn't do because of his age at the time, but also because if you remember, his right arm was incapacitated, and he'd generally hold like a pen or a pencil in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, even at one point, they had Bob Dole stretching his legs. And he pulled his leg by his shoulder and actually ripped the leg out of its socket. Again, goofy, but a little absurd. And then you have your show open and your monologue, and they're they're dressed as Sichuan Dynasty servers, and they I, I don't know if that's the actual chef and uh, hostess they have, but there you go. Uh, and then again, have- again, again, again kind of racist. Kind of, sort of, yeah. yeah. Uh, then you have Techno Future, which was a sort of, sort of pseudo futurist uh, vintage look into how life would be. And uh, one of the people who was in this sketch was Louis C.K. as a guy wearing a pair of goggles that detects bees. Yeah, that was a little goofy. I like uh, that one. Well, it was a little goofy. I mean, one of the items I remember was milk on demand. So you could just say, oh, yeah, I want a glass of skim milk or 1% milk. And it's basically taken directly from the teat. And it comes out a little hose by your computer monitor. Little goofy. Uh, but then you had another installment of entertainment headlines. But this time... They were looking at MTV and the Unabomber. Remember, Unabomber was a big topic back in the day. It was, and the Unabomber was looking for love on MTV. And where do you go looking for love on MTV in the mid-90s? Singled out. Singled out. 
Chris Hardwick before he was King Nerd, and Jenny McCarthy before she was sharing a table with Alan Thicke's youngest. Well, I thought you were going to go with something else about Chris Hardwick and Jenny McCarthy, but I'm just going to leave it there. No, I actually thought thought he was going to go there, too. Chris Hardwick before the wall and Jenny McCarthy pre-anti-vaxxer. Oh, no, no, no. I was going to say something else about Chris Hardwick. Yeah, let's leave it there. Yeah, don't go there. No, 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 no. No, no. We are not okay, going okay. there. Say Chris Hardwick pre at midnight. Yeah. That, that's a safe response. Yeah. That's all we're going to say, guys. Okay. So uh, then we have Discovery Channel After Dark, Ooh. which is basically. <laughs> Which is basically a combination, uh, a compilation of animals. Uh, well, you heard "Bad Touch" by the Bloodhound Gang. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Yeah, I don't need to explain this to y'all. And then, sex. <laughs> we like to use the term relations, but whatever. Uh, then there's skinheads from Maine. It's 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 racist and anti-Semitic, but it's also very folksy. This didn't sit well with me. I'm sorry. No, it did not. What was uh, after this, though? I thought was very funny. Entertainment Again- headlines looks at Madani. Yes. Uh, what it was was a person named Madani in New York who claimed he was the first person that did a lot of stuff Madonna did, wearing the chains with the cross on it, uh, putting out a book. If you remember, uh, Madonna back in the day had the sex book. He claimed he had a book out before then, which sold no copies, <laughs> but was very similar to the sex book. Uh, I thought it was really funny. He even had the hairdo that Madonna had back in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, I I thought it was really funny, really clever. And sadly, I think, yeah, that that was a bright point here. But on the other side of that that sketch was another installment of Skinheads from Maine. But at least after that, we got Grandma the Clown again. Oh, that's fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was hilarious because one of the things she tried doing this time, uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of clowns give themselves pies in the face. Uh-huh. Well, Grandma the Clown was trying to do the same, but she had like a, uh, I don't know how to phrase it, as uh, something that was going to throw the pie in her face, but it didn't really go at a regular speed. It went at, let's say, Grandma the Clown speed. And so it just came up and booped her nose, and you saw this little bit of whipped cream around her nose, and she thought it was absolutely hilarious. Just about, yeah. And then came the Food Network After Dark, which is basically somebody putting a hot dog into bun. Extreme close-ups of an oyster. Use your imagination. And jello jiggling. And jello jiggling. 
And then you had Peter Jennings on the FBI, Pied Piper, and Freeman Siege at a Montana ranch. Again, timeliness with, with the Freeman Siege. Uh, and again, Stephen Colbert doing what he does best, delivering news with as straight a face as possible. And yeah, the whole basis of this was the government decided to try the Pied Piper because the Pied Piper got rid of rats and uh, got children to follow him. Uh, it didn't work out so well when you try using the Pied Piper to uh, get rid of an anti-government militia. No, it did not. Yeah, at least originally. And then we ran out the show, C-SPAN, After Dark. Which is basically a few shots of the Washington Monument. Because it's phallic. (laughs) Episode 7. It just says... Yeah, there's no sponsor. Yeah, it just says the Dana Carvey Show number 7. Now, this was the last one to actually air. We have Newt Gingrich, Washington Pays Its Own Way. Basically paring down on stuff, like turning... What What were they going to do? Turn the White House into a gambling, a floating gambling casino? Uh, yeah, into a uh, riverboat casino. That would have been, awesome. been awesome. And replacing the Lincoln Memorial with a sign that said Lincoln was right and a penny taped to it. And then you have the Kennedy memorabilia auction. Now, remember, this was 1996. The JFK memorial auction was like a big thing at this time. Mm-hmm. The Kennedy memorabilia auction was done at Sotheby's. During the auction, uh, one of the items that came up was, uh, was John F. Kennedy's rocking chair. And so when people bid on it, he'd be, uh, the auctioneer would be, who would give me $250,000 for this? And so somebody would raise their hand. And the auctioneer would be like, oh, okay, thanks for the bid from the person who will be sitting on his porch in the John F. Kennedy rocking chair saying, oh, look at me, I'm John F. Kennedy sitting in my rocking chair. And he, he basically just mocked the people who were, were bidding throughout the process. Uh, but then at the end, the final scene, you had the person who won the rocking chair actually doing that. Oh, look at me, I'm John F. Kennedy. I'm sitting in my rocking chair. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. But then, oh, oh, this was oh, great. Oh, oh, this, this, this was good. The cutting room floor remembers if I only had an ass. So what it was, was you had a Gene Shalit impersonator looking at cutting room floor material from famous movies. And this one was a takeoff of The Wizard of Oz. So we all know the Wizard of Oz, you know, the the, uh, lion wanted courage and the tin man wanted a heart and the scarecrow wanted a brain. Well, there was a fourth character which didn't make the cut and he wishes he had an ass and he pulled down his pants and you saw a fake butt, but without a crack. He had no ass. It was just no ass. What a shame. How terrible would that be to live life with no ass? And he even sang a little song, uh, like, if I only had a brain. (laughs) But it was, if I only had an ass. Talking about then he could fart and he could poop and stuff like that. 
And here's that very song right now. Oh. Oh, oh here we go. Oh, I am dead. All the hours I would while with Naimabudico smile, the days would quickly pass. All the ladies would be swooning, well, I would be just mooning if I only had an ass. I would do a lot of sitting, my pants would be a fitting, I'd pass a lot of gas. To the folks, I'd be relating all about my defecating if I only had an ass. Decorate my crack with ribbons too. What's the matter? Don't you? With my back facing a mirror, I'd scrutinize my rear in my looking glass. There would be a lot of takers when I'd shake my money maker if I only had an ass. More Peter Jennings. Peter Jennings gives anonymous review interviews. Again, Stephen Colbert as Peter Jennings. And again, Stephen Colbert being incredibly deadpan serious while trying to keep a straight face. Perfecting his Stephen Colbert, Stephen Colbert uh, persona. Not only that, but you have a cameo. I'm looking at the cameo right now. Isaac Hayes and a teddy bear. Yep, Isaac Hayes as quote-unquote Kim. The next sketch that came up was Famous First Ladies as Dogs. And this was actually mentioned on the DVD commentary. Uh, It's probably one of the funniest bits. Heather Morgan dressed up as, oh, probably I'd say minimum of like seven first ladies. Hillary Clinton, Jackie Kennedy, Nancy Reagan, Barbara Bush, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, Mary Todd Lincoln. I, I'm sure there's one oh, or two yeah. that I'm missing. Oh, the, Ma- yeah. the Mary Todd Lincoln one's the best, where she's fighting with a dog over a sock. Yes. With teeth. <laughs> well, not just that. The Jackie Kennedy one, too, was very funny, because somebody threw a milk bone at her, and she caught it in, the, in her mouth. This has been Heather Morgan's first ladies as dogs. And then, oh, oh, this was real funny, too. The Chicago Bulls' quest for the NBA championship. Remember, this was 1996, the season of 70. Right. The year they went 72 and 10. Yeah. Yes. And uh, this was their take on the NBA on NBC coverage. Uh, with Marv Albert and Bill Walton. And this was, oh my gosh. It, it was great because every time they went to Marv Albert and Bill Walton, either Bill Walton kept on getting taller or Marv Albert kept on getting shorter. <laughs> uh, but also you need to remember, first off, Bill Walton is like 7'2 or 7'3. He's a tall person. But ultimately, by the end of the sketch... You have Bill Walton filling up like the entirety of the screen, and for Marv Albert, you just see his head at the bottom of the screen. I, it's very funny, uh, and not a bad impersonation of of uh, Bill Walton because if you know who he is, he's a bit of uh, to say the least, 
a throwback to the 60s and 70s. He's a true hippie. And and, and also, Bill Walton, he kind of likes the wacky tabacky a little bit. Just a little bit, yeah. He likes to light one up. And then after that, you had a PSA from Strayhound Buses, basically saying why you should take buses over flying, because there's a better chance that your plane could fly into a mountain, and even though you'll get there faster, you know, there's a higher chance of you dying. So why not take your time and take a bus? Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then it just got really weird. The last segment was world leaders and their baths, and they showed Jordan's King Hussein in the bath, in a bubble bath, playing with army men at a tank. Very bizarre. And then during the closing credits, they had Prince Charles in a similar bath, but his bath was just full of tea bags, and he poured cream in there, put sugar in there, yeah. and actually at one point, and actually at one point, drank the tea out of the bathtub. Ew. Yuck. Yeah, a little bizarre to say the least. We we should mention the opening monologue was the Regis Philbin uh, talking to Dana Carvey doing Regis Philbin. Yes. So now we get to the final episode, which was the unaired episode. So by that point, ABC was completely done with the show. So you know what they aired in the Dana Carvey show's final episode's place? Coach? Yes, not just a special coach, but a special episode of Coach with Troy Aikman guest starring. Ah, where uh, somebody was going to be the recipient of Troy Aikman's seed. Yes. So the show starts with another Charles Grodin segment. And this Charles Grodin segment, uh, who, uh, oh gosh, who was there? Uh, there was Gene Wilder, uh, again being done by Bill, by uh, Elon Gold. And I forget who else was there. Oh, uh, again, it, it was a, a we, funny segment. I think you had someone doing Richard Lewis, I think. No, I don't remember Richard Lewis. Okay. Okay, Elon Gold did Gene Wilder and he did, oh, he did Jeff Goldblum. That, oh, that, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Gold did Jeff Goldblum, and... and again did those really well. Of course, this was before he decided to mellow himself out. So after the... Charles Grodin, we had the show open in monologue, but the monologue itself consisted really of one joke, right, Chico? Yeah, it was just okay. This is. My impersonation of Catherine Hepburn trying to start a stalled car. And that was the monologue. Yeah, imagine a car with a stalled ignition that sounds like Catherine Hepburn. That was it. But that took us to a, a really funny sketch, I thought. Bob Dole undercover. It was with uh, falling falling pole numbers. Bob Dole just goes and describe and uh, disguises himself as key people in uh, Bill Clinton's administration and tries to ruin them like that, including Hillary Clinton too. That was wrong. Well, it was wrong. It was doubly wrong because they were in bed at the time. 
next was Germans who say nice things that come out wrong. Yeah. It was it's that's basically uh screw it, we're already cancelled. Let's just do this thing and do do the uh do the dirty version as it were. And then you had the stupid pranksters, but this time they went to a bowling alley. They uh, got a lane. They bought the shoes. They actually, uh, and I think this is a practice. Maybe it's still done nowadays, but I remember back in the day, you had to give them a shoe so you couldn't just walk off with the bowling shoes. So uh, both uh, Steve Carell and Dana Carvey's characters gave one of their shoes plus the deposit for or the money for the for the bowling shoe. And then as the guy was getting the bowling shoes, what did they do? They dashed out, even though they had one shoe on, and peeled out of the uh, bowling alley parking lot. Yes. And then you had a David Schwimmer PSA. Yeah, it, it was basically the more you know with David Schwimmer. And then the oh. sketch, so nice, they did it twice. Tom Brokaw anticipates the death of Gerald Ford. Do we re- do do we have to describe what this sketch is? Because I'm sure there's probably some people out there that don't know what this sketch is about. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so Tom Brokaw to want to stay in his house in the Hamptons records a bunch of segments anticipating certain events that might occur in the future so that they can already get them in the can. And one of them just happens to be the death of Gerald Ford. And it starts out normally where they say, uh, we're sad to announce the death of Gerald Ford tonight at the age of 83. Okay, let's do it again, but let's do it for next year. We're, we're sad to announce the death of Gerald Ford at age 84. And then they go back and, and bring up different scenarios in which Gerald Ford may pass away. Oh yeah, there's there's one event where he was ch- chopped into bits in a commuter plane. Of course, there was one where he says Gerald Ford was senselessly eaten by wolves today at the age of eighty three. He was delicious. And then Gerald Ford committing suicide. Senselessly committing suicide. Senseless committing suicide, yes. And then the last one, it had to do with Zimbabwe. Yeah, in case the U.S. was invaded by Zimbabwe. And you had had Dana Carvey as Tom Brokaw doing, like, clicking noises. Oh, but... Gerald Ford. <laughs> but the best part was, Gerald Ford is dead and I'm gay. Well, what would happen if, uh, hey, on the same day Ter- Gerald Ford died and you come out of the closet and then we're screwed? Next thing you know, everyone's hearing about it from Dan Raver. Next, we get Mark Twain tonight starring Stomp. Mm-hmm. Because Stomp was a big thing back in the day. Stomp was a very big thing back in the day. And all the people in Stomp were dressed as Mark Twain. That was and a then, sight. 
Yeah, that was that was a sight. Then you had overly anxious dinner conversation with Heather Morgan, basically as a date, as your date, and her trying to make something happen. It ended with her head exploding. It was beautiful. Then we get the stupid pranksters go to a photo booth. And, and they... then this week with David Brinkley. Oh, where... oh this, this is funny. Yeah, the show is pretty much done on while everybody was riding an aerodynamics corkscrew type roller coaster. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you had Dana Carvey playing George Will, who again would have been a thing on ABC News back then. And you had Colbert as David Brinkley. Yep. Which was a very scary David Brinkley, as a matter of fact. Yep. Now, many people now this was sort of meta in that da- in that Dana Carvey is, and I learned this when I was binging on Roller Coaster YouTube over the summer, a very big roller coaster fan. Really? Oh yeah. He was on the uh, he was he was there for the launch of Drunkenfire at Busch Gardens Williamsburg. You know, back when it was a thing. That'll be in the spinoff podcast. It was a thing at the amusement park. Well, uh, things didn't go so well for Dana Carvey on the roller coaster. Uh, no, they did he, not. Yeah, he, he didn't necessarily lose his lunch, but uh, yeah, at one point a barf bag was used, presumably pre-filled with oatmeal or something. And yeah, he had a little bit of... Uh, an upchuck and it went all over his face and all over the ride and yeah delicious funny but yeah and the Not... final sketch ever oh yeah the stupid Dude. pranksters win the lottery but this oh. is the great installment of stupid oh. pranks oh yeah oh yes because to present the check you have the governor of New York State at the time, George Pataki, presenting the stupid pranksters with the check for winning the lottery. Yeah, they do the same stuff they've always done. They dash, but then you see them, as they're laughing and driving away, they suddenly stop and get really quiet, and they have that moment. You know, we left $16 million in Governor Pataki's hands. Why wouldn't they just turn around and go back for it? They just kept on driving down the road. Who maybe knows? They, maybe they realize in the future, in about 20 years, George Pataki will be a answer to a question on Jeopardy and nobody will get him correct because everyone forgets that George Pataki was a governor for 12 years. Well, that's the show. Um, do you guys see any way this could have been saved? I've got a couple of ideas as to Maybe if there were some changes that maybe the show would have lived on beyond seven episodes. If you ask me, it it had to do with the network. I mean, they were writing a really good show. They were writing a really solid show and a really funny show. Unfortunately, it was on the wrong network at the wrong time. Yes, you could get away with stuff like that now, but in 1996 on ABC, just having been bought out by Disney wasn't going to happen so if, if it were me i would have put it on like a comedy central or an hbo 
Well, it's funny you mention that because HBO originally wanted to have the Dana Carvey show. Oh, yeah, that's right, isn't it? Well, my idea was similar but a little different. I think you're absolutely right about the time slot and the network. But where I think I would have put it, I would have put it after Mad TV on Fox. Put it at midnight on Saturdays. Interesting you mentioned that because after because once upon a time after Mad TV, you know what aired after Mad TV? Talk Spike show Ferriston with show. Spike Ferriston. Right. I just think it would have worked better there. Uh, Fox, especially at that time, was known for pushing the envelope. Uh, I don't know if, if ABC necessarily knew what they were getting into when they... I, I think they. The- I think when they bought into the show, they wanted more church lady and less... Well... Less what we got, yeah. yeah. Uh, especially airing immediately after Home Improvement. You'd think it would be more of a... Uh, a family type of comedy, like you mentioned earlier, coach or something in that vein. This definitely was not for a 930 after home improvement audience. It was definitely maybe like a, a Fox audience or a Saturday night audience. Definitely not a, a Tuesday night audience. Yeah. Well, that's the Dana Carvey show. Chico, do you have some closing remarks? Yes, I do. And in 19, you know, looking by the way, I should we should mention this. Not only is the show on DVD, it is available on Hulu as as well as the documentary "Too Funny to Fail: The Life and Death of the Dana Carvey Show." Highly recommended. Ten out of ten would watch again. And in 2020. Now that you're a little bit older, a little bit wiser, a little bit more worldly, you can really watch this and appreciate the humor. But back in your youth, back in 1996, back when Dana Carvey was just trying to find out who he was, independent of Saturday Night Live, it was the Taco Bell thing on TV. (laughs) Yes! Yes, it's staying in. Yes, it counts. <laughs> Count it. It's good. And yeah. you know what else is good? It was a Taco Bell thing. On it team. was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's buy that domain. It was a Taco Bell. <laughs> I'm trying to. Pl- I'm trying to plug this thing, and I can't keep a straight face. And there's Stephen Colbert. Let me tell you that right now. <sighs> So if you want uh, more information on this or any of our past episodes, you can go to our website at itwasathingontv.com. There you can find out about the show, about us, past episodes, and all of our social feeds. And, uh, oh yeah, shout out to the Place to Be Nation for dropping uh, three episodes at a time each week. Yes, uh, the latest batch that just dropped would be the XFL 2001 Beat the Clock and Few and the Bill Cullen Centennial Tribute episode. Okay, so uh, they're about a month behind us now. All right, yes. good. And, uh, and, of course, Bo, and of course, if you, you do want to listen to Place to Be Nation Pop for the on-the-bus version of episodes 30 through 32, because we also included a bonus segment on the XFL 2001 episode. Yep. Let's just say 
things happened. Yep. Uh, just for a wider, listen to our episodes, rate, review, comment, subscribe, and share, because sharing is caring. I want to thank you for listening to the Cool Kids episode, because we had record download numbers, and the three of us are puzzled where they came from, and if it was just the same person trying to download the episode like 90 times, because we have no idea who would have found it so quickly and why we would have had so many downloads at such a weird hour, but thank you, we assume? Question mark? Who knows? It might be might be time-traveling Zodiac Killer Ed Begley. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. Blink once if you're the Zodiac Killer. And he never does. Nope, just a creepy smile. N- next time... Um, oh yes! Next time, Greg sells out with a little bit of help from a very big fella, brother. That's all we're gonna say. Until uh, that. Yep. Hey, so, when, uh, hey, when, hey, when that episode comes crashing down and it hurts inside, just remember you got to take a stand and don't have to hide, because if you hurt my friends. Then he hurt my pride because I gotta be a man and I can't let it slide. What that man said. Okay. Until then, we will see you with another thing on TV. Row! The Diet Mug Root Beer Dana Corby Show. <laughs> I was hoping you're gonna say the Diet Mug Root Beer that's, that's a thing on TV. No, he's no, he nailed it. He nailed it.